Yes, you're welcome. It's great that you're here. I want to especially welcome Robert and Renata Bond. They've come here today to be baptised and we're pleased to be celebrating that um, time with them later on in the service. So we're looking forward to sharing that with you. We also want to welcome Gary and Ewa McMaster. They're from uh, Poland. That's where they're uh, doing mission over there and they're going to tell us all about that. They're here home and they live in uh, Heathmont and so they've come all the way to come and share with us for a few moments during the service today. So we want to welcome them. Let's welcome uh, Gary and Ewa. We've got some exciting news. Joe and Nigel Harris are really pleased this week. They're giving thanks to God for the birth of their two little children. They've had twins this week. Ethan Thomas, a boy, and Sari Grace, a girl. So that's great news for them. We also want to just acknowledge and say we're really pleased for Paul and Leah, Paul Ramsey and Leah Boyce. They're getting married here next week at one o'clock. I wonder, Paul and Leah, would you just stand where you are right there? And uh, we're just looking forward to that moment in your life. And just while you're standing, why don't we pray for them? God, we thank you for marriage and we thank you for Paul and for Leah. God, we thank you for this moment that they're going to share together next week that will last them for the rest of their lives. God, we ask that this week would be a day, a week where everything goes smoothly for them and they're able to get everything done. And God, we thank you for the wonderful gift that marriage is. Bless them, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Great stuff. I also want to let you know that on Thursday night, we had a meeting and a whole lot of things happened. Over 40 new members were welcomed. Uh, sorry, we, we talked about 40 new members and they were accepted into um, fellowship. We're going to welcome them next week during the service, 40 new members. Um, we also want to let you know that we agreed to build church extensions rather than purchase um, a, uh, portables out the back. We, we agreed that we would, instead of doing that, we would extend our church. And even this morning, there are plans for you to view as you leave. So we just want to put the plans out there for you to give feedback on and talk. And we're going to take in all your um, thoughts as you look at those on the way out. It's good to just read the instructions next to the, the plan so you can understand them a little better. Um, we, also, uh, wanted, we also made uh, some announcements too about Norman's um, ministry, Norman Pells. Around two and a half years ago, because of just a, a chance conversation between the senior pastor Graham Smith and Norman, um, something really special happened. And during that conversation, Norman offered to come up to Wodonga and help Graham with the ministry here. And he did that initially on a part-time interim basis owing to the you know, short, the shortage that we had in staff. Initially it was for three months. Then as things progressed and uh, Graham announced that he was to retire, we kept extending Norman's term each three months. And that's been great for the church. But um, two and a half years after that, the deacons have made a decision that Norman's time with us um, will not be keeping extended. And um, Norman will be concluding his ministry with us on June the 24th. Um, we, we thought we just wanted to, as a church, gather together and say how thankful we are for Norman's ministry and for all that he's done. And so on June the 18th at night, uh, we're going to invite everybody to come together and celebrate the great work that Norman has done. I think he's had such a great impact on 
all of us with his faithful servant, servant heart, his dedication, his encouragement, his enthusiasm and passion for the Lord. And I know we're all going to miss him greatly. And I'd just like to say how much, Norman, we've appreciated the two and a half years and how thankful we are for your faithful ministry. Thanks, Norman. We also made a decision uh, on Thursday night about uh, multiple services. We agreed that on July the 10th, um, we would move to multiple services in the morning. Um, that means that each Sunday after July the 10th, we would have two services in the morning and one at night. But the one at night would be different from the one in the morning, and the mornings would both be identical services. And what we thought as part of that decision and as a result of the decision that we've made that we'd love to hear your feedback. And uh, you'll notice inside of the news sheet today, there's a survey form. And we'd just love you to open that up now. Some of you have two in your news sheet. And if you have someone next to you who will be coming but doesn't have a survey form, if you could just pass that on to them as well, that would be great. If you have a spare one, just hold up and I'm sure someone will grab that off you. But what we want you to do just in these moments now and if there are pencils available, could someone just see if we can get some of those brought down? And if you don't have a pencil, put your hand up right where you are. And if you have a look at it, it's quite simple. There's just two spots where you need to respond. The first one is, what are your preferred times for the proposed two services? And in question one, you only need to tick one box, either one, two, or three. Pick your most preferred service time. Now, secondly, the second question, you need to tick three boxes. One, if you're pref uh, one out of 8.30 and 10.30. So if we decided to go to 8.30 and 10.30, which one of those would you attend? Then you need to pick one out of number two, 8.45 to 10.45. And then you ne need to pick one out of 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. This is just feedback. We're just wanting your feedback on this. So would you just take a moment to do that right now? That would be great. Um, we want to ask you to give a great warm welcome to Gary and Ewa McMaster. They're friends of Mandy and I. We've watched their ministry for a while um, from a distance and we're pleased to have them with us. So let's give them a warm round of applause. Well, good morning. I'm sorry I'm a bit slower than I normally am. I'm slightly incapacitated at the moment, but yeah. Thank you for the opportunity to share with you um, this morning at Wodonga. Um, the screen in front isn't working, is that? Can be, that be rectified or not? No. Okay, anyhow, we're the McMaster family. Um, my name's Gary, this is my wife, Eva. We have two kids, Tommy and Kalina. Tommy's six and Kalina's two and we work with a mission called SEND International. Now, SEND isn't so well known here in Australia. Um, however, it's a very good mission and they've been working for quite a few years in Poland. And what SEND does as a mission can be explained through the letters S-E-N-D. S for starting churches through E, evangelism, N, nurturing uh, disciples, and D, developing leaders. We believe that each of these steps is necessary to see a 
healthy, vibrant church planted. It's not just a matter of going to a particular location, sharing the gospel, and yeah, a few weeks later you depart and the church just goes on and starts to grow by itself. We believe that all these yeah, steps are necessary to see uh, vital, uh, a vibrant church planted. The part of SENS ministry that we're a part of is what they call North Central Europe, which takes in the two countries, Poland and Czech Republic. So we're actually based in Poland. Here you have his uh, lovely map of Poland, and we're working in a city called Sopot, which as you can see is to the north of the country, up on the Baltic Sea. Now it's part of a tri-city area of about a million people. You've got Gdansk, which is probably the most well-known city um, by Australians because of Lech Wałęsa and the Solidarity Movement and all the strikes that occurred in the late 80s. There's Sopot, where we're living, and Gdynia. And our ministry has been focused on helping to replant a church in Sopot, the Sopot Baptist Church. That's a present-day building, but back in the 1880s, a church was planted by Germans who were living in that area. But with the difficult history that uh, Poland has had, and yeah, most people have heard of World War II, and yeah, um, a lot of the Germans after World War II left the area or were killed, and the church was confiscated, the building was confiscated by the communists. With the fall of communism in Eastern Europe, um, many properties were handed back. However, in the case of Sopa Baptist Church, the local government initially didn't want to even acknowledge that the church existed in the past. The building is still standing, but it's now an orphanage, and yeah, it wasn't in our best interests to reclaim that building. So eventually the local council said, yes, you were existing in the past, you did have a building, we're looking for a building for you. But the desire to help us out wasn't really there, and they're still officially looking. But with help from support from America, largely, um, yeah, the ground floor of this building was purchased. It's in a key location, it's one of the key streets, uh, Sopot's um, a seaside uh, city that's very popular with tourists, and many people travel by train to Sopot. So one of the streets you'd walk from the train station down to the beach is where the church is. And so the local council were not happy that we established ourselves back in the community in a key location where people can see us. So they set about trying to close us down using various methods. You'll see inside the church, the worship area, the uh, chapel, it's actually two rooms joined together. One of the things the council tried to do was, uh, instead of allowing us to remove the non-weight-bearing wall between the rooms, they said, no, you cannot do that. So for a while, we operated by half the service, a church sitting in one room, looking, peering through the door, and the other half of the church yeah, uh, sitting in the other half of the room. And that wasn't a very satisfactory situation, as you can imagine. So we serve a creative God and we're created in his image. And one of the people in our congregation came up with the idea of instead of removing the wall, that we just widen the doors. So <laughs> that's what we do, <laughs> that we've done. So there's ways around problems. So as you embark on this new building project. If you have run into problems, remember you're creating God's image. Um, yeah, the current congregations, uh, we've got about 28 members and quite a well-developed um, leadership. 
We've been involved in a vast variety of ministry. A large part of my ministry initially was learning the Polish language, which isn't the easiest thing to do. Um, but yeah, I've made good progress. And as my ability in language increased, so were the opportunities to preach, lead Bible studies. But because a lot of our uh, ministry in Poland is, revolves around building relationships, building friendships with people, we've found that it's good to minister the felt needs of people within the community. One of those felt needs is simply people would like to learn English. So we've done things like English workshops just to build relationships with people. I had a wonderful Bible study happening for a couple of years with students. Uh, in the top uh, left-hand corner, there's a lady sitting there. Her name's Eva Shikora. She works with the Pol Polish equivalent of InterVarsity or AFES, sort of like a student uh, fellowship um, society that operates within universities. She invited three guys with her. Um, there's Krzysztof, Przemek, uh, and Darek to be part of the Bible, uh, to be part of a Polish Bible study. They said no. She suggested a Bible study in English with me. They jumped at the opportunity, and we had up to 30 people attending this Bible study. It was just a wonderful opportunity just to share the gospel with them. Um, yeah, a lot of our evangelism is friendship-based, but it's also good to be seen in the community. We're seen by most people to be a sect, being Baptists in Poland, and so it's good to be seen in the community. So we did things such as this concert we had in a local town hall. We had a, a choir from a city, uh, from a Baptist church in a city called Białystok, who came and did a wonderful concert. The president of the Baptist Union of Poland came along and shared the gospel. And we had about 200 people from the surrounding community come along. In addition to that, we also had um, the local television company come along and they produced a seven minute documentary about this concert and the official opening of our church building. So, yeah, it's a very good opportunity. Well, uh, as you minister um, in Poland, you have many encouragements. Uh, so, like, for example, uh, I was involved with um, kids or in kids' ministry and was really going so well and still developing really well. We have about 20 children in our congregation, so we had obviously Sunday school, but the room for Sunday school is so tiny uh, for so many kids, so we can't do much teaching then. Uh, that's why we have CRE classes as well during the week, um, three groups um, going. But the main area of my ministry was with, uh, outside of home was with the ladies. Uh, my heart is really more in evangelism, but the Lord was leading towards discipleship. Uh, so the ladies from the church were very excited to have this group happening. So on Friday mornings we were meeting for a Bible study in our home. And the younger ladies with young kids would bring their kids and the kids as well could have a playtime with a babysitter. There's uh, not such things like playgroups and so on in Poland, so there was as well good opportunity for kids to play together. So I'm very excited about this women's ministry. It's going, it's going well, and the ladies had various ideas how to reach out um, their non-Christian friends through like chat and challenge um, kind of meetings that they would invite a speaker to speak about sort of not threatening topic and maybe rent a hall outside of church and um, hopefully people would slowly realize that we're not a, a threat to them as, uh, as Christians, as Baptists, and they will you know, trust us enough to come to a church service and attend our Bible study groups. 
Uh, not many people come to the Lord, not in terms of like 40 <laughs> in Poland. It's really quite slow. Uh, but it's always, the Lord is at work. It's always somebody interested uh, in spiritual things or just made a commitment. Uh, so on a few occasions we did witness um, uh, baptismal services. And if, on this particular picture you see six people being baptized. And one person joined our uh, support Baptist Church, and the rest joined the Gdańsk Baptist Church, the biggest church in, in the area. Challenges, plenty of challenges, as you said, in Poland. And, uh, really, the real challenge is to really portray to people that we're not a threat, we're not a sect, because most people believe that um, evangelicals, um, Baptists, Pentecostals, they just sects. Um, so we struggle with that. And that's that's why, because uh, only one-tenth of one percent of the population is evangelical. So it's very, very tiny. And many people had never heard about Baptist churches or other churches. And they're very hesitant to talk to you if they know that you, you're not a Catholic. Yeah, and in Poland we have three times as many Jehovah Witnesses. Um, so they had a great success in, in Poland. And in stark contrast, we have 95 percent... Um, Polish people that are Catholic and 75% practicing, about 50% would attend uh, Mass every Sunday. But that really doesn't mean, you see, people have that form of religion. They feel like if they do their bid for God, God is satisfied and they really don't need to change their lives. Uh, they believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Um, they believe the Bible is a good book, a holy book, but they don't read it. Um, so we, we have definitely foundation to start on, um, but really people struggle with the notion that um, there are only two ways, the narrow path and the broad path. They believe that in purgatory and, and think that if they're good enough, they will go to purgatory. If they you know, really saints, but hardly anybody is a saint, you go straight to heaven, but really bad murderers and rapists would go to hell. So in result, not many people really feel like they need to make a commitment for Christ. They think God is satisfied with uh, what they're doing already. And one passage, when I was actually, when I became a Christian, when I was 16, and I was reading the book of Romans for the first time in chapter 10, reading for the first time, I thought, oh, it's just talking about Polish people, was talking about the Jews uh, in that particular um, passage and how Paul is praying and it's about his heart's desire for the salvation of the Jewish people. And he's saying that passage that they have zeal for God, they're religious, but that zeal is without knowledge. They don't know the way of salvation and they rather trust their good works um, uh, for, for salvation. So it's the same sort of issue in Poland. They have that zeal, but it's not based on, the, um, on, the, on salvation, on the way that God um, established through us through the cross. We have many growing social problems in Poland. Um, and 1st of May 2004, Poland joined um, EU. So that's exciting, but it doesn't mean that um, many people are quite wealthy now. No. Uh, some are quite wealthy, but many people are really struggling. So we, we have, uh, it's a big challenge to minister to uh, very needy people, sometimes homeless, sometimes really desperate, unemployed, and um, often people knock on your doors for asking for food and, and clothing. So you have to be wise how to 
help these people. We can't help everybody. So it's always a challenge and um, quite heartbreaking as well. On a personal note, uh, we have, of course, in Poland quite a harsh climate. So kids tend to get sick a lot. Uh, so <laughs> there was a bit of a struggle for me to and to minister, I guess, when they, one week on, the Bible study was on, and another week I uh, had to call it off because kids were sick again. So it was a bit of um, heartache in that. But, yeah, nothing major. We'll be returning soon to Poland, and initially we're going to be turning, returning back to Sopot. Oi, 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 oi. How do I fix this? Yeah, so we'll be returning initially to Sopot, but then we're going to be relocated south to a city called Apollo. It's a, quite a beautiful city. It's along the Oder River. And it's got a population of about 130,000 people. It's a regional capital, so it's a good strategic location to be planting a new Baptist church. And yeah, in this city of 130,000 people, can you imagine, there's just one evangelical church. It's a Pentecostal church, so it's a good key location, we think, to be starting a new Baptist church. Uh, we have a mother church uh, for this church plant. That's uh, the second Baptist church in a city called Wrocław. Um, the German name is Breslau, if any of you might have heard of that. Um, yeah, as a mission, we do not plant churches on our own. We work in partnerships. So that's why it's very important that we do have this important um, stage in this church planting uh, in place. We have this mother church who will take leadership, authority and ownership of this new church that's planted. Um, we're not going to be yeah, doing everything on our own. Uh, we're looking for Polish church planters who will join with us in this endeavour to establish a new church. So you can pray that we can find some Polish workers who are able to um, serve in this capacity. We'll also be working with an American family from our mission, the Cannon family. They're a great family, Bruce and Linda. They've got two young kids, uh, similar age to our son. So, yeah, our son at least will have some good mates to play with. And, yeah, they've been in Poland for about 10 years, the Cannons, so they're quite experienced and... It'll be a joy to plant a church with them, we're hoping. And, yeah, we're going to be starting this church literally from scratch. We've been to the city of Apollo oh, twice, basically. We've stayed one night there, and, yeah, we don't really know anybody there. We've heard of a friend's friend's vet's neighbour's um, uncle who knows somebody who lives in Apollo, but we don't have those personal contacts ourselves. So you can pray because pray for us that we can quickly get involved in the community and get build up friendships as that's how we really have the opportunity to share um, the gospel with people and hopefully see people saved and the church planted and yeah we're going to be returning in just about two and a half weeks so yeah you can pray that yeah my leg will heal um, that's sort of slowed us up for the time being um, literally so yeah but 
After the service, we'll be out the back, and if you'd like to know anything more about our ministry, um, please come and talk to us. We do have some prayer needs and financial needs that would be very useful to be met. Um, so, yeah. Thank you so much for allowing us to share. Thank you, Gary and Ewa. It's great to know that you'll be making an impact in uh, Poland and we'll keep you in our prayers and yeah, do catch up with people afterwards. If you could grab your Bibles, that would be great. And let's turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And we've been working through the book of Philippians and we've entitled the series How to Have Exceeding Joy. And this is what it says in Philippians 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those mutilators who do evil. Uh, sorry, watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself has, have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection of the dead. Do you know, I can remember um, sitting in a church hall. It was a crowded church hall, and it was after a service at Bayswater Uniting Church. It was the Baronia Churches, Baronia Uniting Churches, and all the churches combined, cricket club. Uh, presentation night and I was thrilled because I just won the bowling uh, award, the club bowling award for the juniors and they still had this big trophy which was the junior club champion and I was so excited. I was hoping I was going to win it. I've been training hard and I'd already got the bowling award and I hoped that this would be my night to get this award because if I did that would prove that I was a really good cricketer. And then I was, I was waiting, I heard, and the winner is Jonathan Stark. And I was thrilled. It was fabulous. Uh, all the training, all the hard work had paid off. And this award was big. It was like one of those ones that went like this and 
they had a little shield every year for the person that had won it. My brother had won it two years before and I thought I was a good cricketer, but after winning this, I knew I was. Do you know how I knew? Because every time now, when people came into our house, they could look on our piano and there was my name right on this trophy. I, I was able to keep it for a year in my house and I was undeniably for that year a good cricketer and no one could challenge me. And you know what? That, having that trophy gave me a new confidence as a cricketer. No one could dispute it. I wonder, are there things in your life that give you a great sense? of confidence? Are there things that um, you feel like you've made it in life because you have a trophy to prove it? Are there things, some maybe recognition or reward that you can look at and say, this means that I really am somebody? You know, um, many recognition and rewards, they aren't bad in and of themselves. There's nothing wrong with those kind of things. But earthly effort brings earthly rewards. They can't add anything, the rewards that you get here on earth, to your relationship with God. They need to be kept in an area that's related to our work here on earth. It could be this morning, though, that you feel and you think, Jonathan and I, when you talk about trophies and awards and trusting in things, you know, uh, it's the opposite is true for me, you might say. I've never won anything, you might say. You know, I go into competitions, but they never call my name out. I, I try hard, but I never seem to get the right marks. And you might be feeling that because you don't have any achievements, that you're no good. Perhaps there's a sense of inadequacy or insecurity. It could be that though you have a big lot of trophies, you realise that it hasn't given you the satisfaction in life that you hoped for. You know, often it's those with the most trophies in their cupboard that feel the most insecure. Often the efforts and the striving is to gain something that those rewards will never bring us. Christian psychologist James Dobson points out that 80% of teenagers don't like the way they look and they often have this feeling and it carries on right through adolescence. Now those who we might look at and say they're really beautiful people, they're often lacking confidence too, even in the way they look. You know Julia Roberts from Pretty Woman fame, she said, my mouth is too big and my smile is too gummy. She said, only my wardrobe people know how paranoid I am about my body. I say, let's get one thing straight. These are the parts of me that I have a problem with. These are the ones we will hide. This is your job. It's not just about looks, though. Often people lack, their lack of confidence goes much deeper. Do you know what Madonna said? She said, all of my will has always been to conquer some horrific feeling of inadequacy. I'm always struggling with that fear. I push past one spell of it and I discover myself as a special human being and then I get to another stage and I think I'm mediocre and uninteresting. And I find a way to get myself out of that again and again. My drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre and that's always 
pushing me, pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended. And it probably never will. Often we think that our achievements, our trophies, can help us feel confidence within. But the examples that we've looked at show that inner confidence doesn't come from our outward achievements, our looks, our status. In fact, in order to stand confidently before the one person, the living God, the only one that really matters, there's nothing that we can do ourselves to gain greater confidence before him. So the question this morning is, how can we stand before the living God confidently? How can we do that? Paul begins in this passage, and he begins by writing these words. He says, finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write these same things to you again, and it's a safeguard for you. Paul begins this section here and he's continuing his theme of the book of of Philippians. Rejoicing in Christ, finding joy in him, knowing God and finding joy in who he is will actually safeguard the Philippian church, Paul is saying, from the dangers of becoming too serious, the dangers of becoming too legalistic, too focused on the things that would separate them, that would divide them, rather than focusing on the things that would unite Paul says, rejoice, rejoice, find joy. And he says, it's no problem me even saying it again. You know what, church? As we think about who we're trusting in this morning, it's a great start to this time that we're looking at God's word for us to rejoice together. So why don't we sing what the Lord has done in me. Hallelujah for all that he's done. And let's rejoice as Paul instructs us. And rejoice. Then he begins, as we continue through the passage, to to deal with the issue of where we gain our confidence from. He writes, watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. Paul, this is strong words. It's really harsh language that he uses here. He calls a particular people, a group of people, Dogs. And, you know, he's not meaning little dogs that sit on your lap while you watch the TV. He's not meaning those kind of dogs that you take to puppy school and you train and they sit and drop and lie down and roll over all when you want them to, or the ones that we give shampoo things every week to. No, the the dogs that Paul would have been referring to in his time were dirty, they were disease-carrying scavengers who just ran through the streets. They ran up and down the narrow streets. And if you actually got one into a corner, you'd run because they were yappy and bitey and they were dangerous. They were a real threat if you got in their way. So Paul says, these dogs, it's a harsh term. And with that thought in mind, he actually continues the strong words of criticism by calling them not only dogs, but men who do evil. These people are bad. 
And then he says they're mutilators of the flesh. This group of people who Paul was referring to had become a real danger in churches all around, in other churches around the church at Philippi. And Paul felt that it was really important to warn the Philippian church of the danger of their influence. And they, these people in this group believed in Jesus Christ, but they also believed that in Genesis chapter 17, when God made a covenant with Abraham, that the sign of the covenant, which was circumcision, was an everlasting covenant itself. No, it was going to last forever. The physical mark of circumcision was a sign of the inward response to God from the heart. And Paul believed that because of Jesus' death and of his resurrection, that no outward sign now was actually necessary. People had responded to Jesus in their hearts and therefore the inward sign was far more important than the outward sign. And this group was insisting on circumcision. And Paul's response was harsh. It was harsh and it was warranted. Uh, confidence before God. It can't come from any outward sign, whether it be circumcision or whether it be anything else at all. Bible reading, church attendance, you know, giving to charities, none of this are signs that can help you gain confidence before God because you know where confidence from God can only come from? It comes from our inward response from the heart. And the Philippians were in danger. They were in danger of placing their confidence in something else when this group came along. And, and Paul just, he, he wasn't just going to kind of not tolerate it. He was going to attack it. Mutilators, dogs, evil men, he said. I think this morning the challenge is for us that we would stand strongly against people that kind of said to us that you need to do this or have this or do this in order to be saved, in order to find confidence before God. Don't let anyone tell you that there are things you must do to be saved, outward signs, outward works, outward things. Because like Paul, we want to stand up against legalism against you know things that would bring a law and make us live this way relationship with Christ is what Paul was hot about so he goes on and he says in verse 3 and you can follow it along for it is we who are the circumcision we who worship by the spirit of God who glory in Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh here Paul includes himself with the people at Philippi. And he says, you know, you and I, we're those that don't put any confidence at all in the flesh. They didn't seek to trust in anything else but in worshipping God by the Spirit of God and in glorifying Christ alone. You know, the words here in this verse, confidence in the flesh, as Paul wrote those, he must, it must have triggered in his mind uh, emotion. And it must have taken him back in his mind to the way in which he'd lived in the past for so many years, for so many years. Paul had actually, in his own strength, 
tried to gain confidence before God. He, for many years, he'd worked so hard at trying to please God in every way that he could to gain confidence. It was until he met with a risen Christ. His mind must have gone back to there. You see, because nobody else's trophy case was larger than Paul's. Uh, had they given awards for excellence in religion back in Paul's day, he would, have, uh, he would have got the award every year, year after year. I reckon his walls would have been covered with plaques, diplomas, framed letters from people of influence. All impressive. And Paul reflects in verse 4, he said, though I myself have reason for such confidence. He remembers. So what Paul's doing there, he was thinking, if there was any confidence that can be gained through the things you did, <laughs> I could have been confident in those things. Because if there was anything from to, to gain from them, I'd done everything that could be done to earn God's pleasing um, confidence. He would have been well known throughout the Jewish world. He would have been admired and, and people would have held him up as an example for all to follow. And, and here's why. Look what it says. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of, of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Paul says that he could have reason for confidence if there, if there was any because of the way he was born. He was given the outward signs of religion. You see, on the eighth day, he was circumcised. His parents hadn't been heathens, but Jewish believers, and they'd given him the outward sign when he was eight days old. Sometimes today, you and I might say, you know, hey, we were dedicated in a church as kids. Or you might say, I was baptised or christened as a child. That's the equivalent of what Paul's saying. He was saying, I've been given a real good start by my parents. They got me off in the right direction. Now, if this could bring confidence before God, Paul says, I qualify. I got the marks. I got circumcised. I got brought up the right way. The second reason for Paul's confidence, if there was any confidence to be gained by things of the flesh, was his national privilege. And Paul says he is of the people of Israel. Now, many felt that this was a ground for security before God, being part of God's chosen people. Now, some people today, don't they, feel pride because of their nationality. And some people may be tempted to think that the nationality or the country that they come from gives them a special place in God's eyes. You know, people from Israel today may feel that. Or Americans may think because we're part of a, a, a place that many people believe in God. Or British people may. Even us, we may say as Aussies, because we're in a country that is relatively free from corruption and from you know, oppression, when we stand before God, he's going to look at us more favourably. You know, Paul is saying 
if he can gain any confidence before God, I had it. I was born of the people of Israel. Paul also talked about um, confidence because of his family background. So he said, I was from the tribe of Benjamin. And out of all the, this was really important because the tribe was important to Jewish people. Because Benjamin alone, out of all the 12 patriarchs, was born in the land of promise. So Benjamin held a special place. And from this tribe came the first king of Israel, you remember. Um, The first king was Saul, who Paul was named after, perhaps. You know, before he was converted on the road to Damascus, he was called Saul, and, and his name was changed to Paul. And, you know, you and I, we could look at our family background. We can think, you know, our parents were Christians. Our parents were Baptists. And we could say, well, because our parents were Baptists or my grandfather was a minister or my mother was a missionary, that gives me a special place before God. And Paul says, you know, if anyone could claim that, I was from the tribe of Benjamin. I came from a great family background. And if that was the case, well, I could gain confidence before God. He says, you know, uh, as well as being confident in all these things, he could be confident regarding his birth. Paul's achievements gave him further grounds of confidence. As he thought about all the things that he had achieved, he said, in regards to the law, I was a Pharisee. He'd observed the law scrupulously. He'd done everything that it required. He had prayed. He'd given money. He could, uh, you know, we might look and we might say, well, it would be like us saying, we've read the Bible back to front and we've memorized many, many of the scriptures in there. We might say, well, we've heard about Jesus and we know a lot about God. Many people think that Bible knowledge can give us confidence before God. Maybe because we come to church, we're okay. Maybe because we put offering in the plate, we can think that. And Paul says, well, if any of that was things that could bring confidence, I was a Pharisee. And you can imagine as Paul keeps going through, he says, you know, I was zealous. I was passionate in the way that I live. And many people think it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're passionate about something. You know, people say, well, you've got to make up what you believe in life and follow it to your heart's desire. And he says, well, if that's true, Paul says, I was zealous. I believed so much in what I was doing that I was persecuting Christians. But, you know, being zealous and being passionate alone is not enough before God. He said, but if it was, boy, I could stand strongly before God. Paul's adding things up in his mind. He's thinking about it. He's saying, as to the law, as to zeal, as to righteousness, as he's ticking off the list in his mind, all the things that he'd lived for, all the things that he was convinced back then was enough to make him able and acceptable to God, to know God. He's realising that those things that he thought were so valuable were totally worthless when it came to knowing Jesus, when it came to meeting the risen Christ. You know, one day Paul was walking down the road to Damascus when he came face to face with the risen Christ. From that point on, his life changed radically. He says, after meeting Christ, 
as he looked down the list of the things of his achievements, he says, I look at these and all my efforts, all my achievements, all the things that I strove for, whatever I thought was profitable, I consider it all now loss, worthless. I consider it completely useless compared to actually knowing Christ Jesus. What did it mean to Paul to know Christ? I think when Paul says that nothing compares to knowing Christ, he means knowing Christ Jesus personally, having a relationship with him, a relationship that comes only through faith in Christ. You see, in order to know Christ, all that Paul had to do was accept his gift of himself to Paul. And Paul, like a present under the Christmas tree, all he had to do was to receive the gift of Jesus Christ and open it up and unwrap it. Paul realised that all his striving wouldn't make him right with God, that his sin had separated him from him, that the things that he'd been doing to try and hurt other people were not pleasing to God. And he came to a point where he said, I realise that, Jesus, you're alive and I'm going to give my life to you and accept what you've done for me. When Paul knew Christ and experienced the joy of being forgiven and the joy of knowing him and having a righteous life because of what Jesus had done on the cross for him, taking all his sin, Paul wanted to live for him, not to please him, but because of all that he'd done, he wanted to live in obedience and joy for you. Do you know, this morning, Robert and Renata Bond have come to a point in their life where they've said, all the things that I've thought might make me pleasing and acceptable before God are totally worthless compared to knowing Christ. They've put their trust in Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. And today, they're going to come and they're going to give their testimonies and they're going to be baptised. And they're going to be publicly saying that what's happened internally in our hearts, trusting in Jesus, we're going to testify that he's real and he's changed us. So why don't you welcome them as they come to share their testimony. was baptised as a baby. Today I'm here to be baptised as a believer. I grew up in Melbourne in a loving Catholic family. My father was Polish and my mother was Italian, both very Catholic cultures. Robert and I gave our hearts to the Lord five years ago and our amazing journey of what goodness lies in the Bible began then and continues to unfold to us, for us, in our lives. <laughs> Before I gave my life to the Lord. A lot of personal decisions I made were based on how I felt. Those decisions also fluctuated based on how I felt. Today my decisions are based on what is the right thing to do, based on what the Bible teaches. And I often pray for Jesus, Holy Spirit, that I believe lives within me to guide me and give me the power to do what is right. Because some days I don't find it very easy to live the Christian life. I wish to quote from Norman to explain why I want to be baptised today. Baptism doesn't 
<laughs> Baptism doesn't make me a believer. It shows you I already believe. Baptism does not save me. Only my faith in Christ does that. Baptis baptism is like a wedding ring. It's the outward symbol of the commitment I have made in my heart. Thank you. Uh, I too grew up in a Christian home and I was baptised as a baby. And my parents are practising Catholics and continue to be so and believe that the week for them isn't complete without going to Mass on a Sunday. All my schooling was through Catholic schools and even at university I attended a Catholic um, a residential college run by priests. Um, Renata and I were married in 1989 and at that time Renata wasn't as committed a churchgoer as I was. We would go to church but not all the time, allowing ourselves to be distracted. I described my faith at the time uh, as possibly passive. I'd attend, but not necessarily being engaged. It's what Eva said before, that you would be there, but it wasn't really a heartfelt commitment. I never felt that. Um, and going along the lines of what Jonathan was saying before, in 1994, Renata and I had been married five years. Things were going really well, uh, achievement-wise. We'd lived and worked in Sydney and London, and I had a great job, work was going fantastic, and we were expecting our first child. We were looking forward at that time to coming back to Australia and settling down in Melbourne and being back closer to family. Well, that year, 1994, proved to be the most challenging of our lives for a number of things went against our hopes and expectations. It actually took me quite a while to find a job after coming back from overseas. And when I did get a job, it was finally on a project that was, had real budget problems. It was very stressful. Shortly after we returned to Australia, Renata's mum was diagnosed with cancer. Her illness tempered our joy at being back home and being with family. But the biggest challenge came that year when our son was born in April and Andrew died in June. He wasn't breathing when he was born and uh, through a lack of oxygen at birth. So at that time, many of our biggest hopes and dreams for our, our family and our future were being really challenged. We were blessed with the support and faith of my parents and also the great example of Renata's mum in how to handle adversity. We had their example, their faith in God, but we have to say that our faith at that time was really tested. In facing these challenges at a time when we weren't yet settled back into Melbourne and into relationships with our family, friends and a church, we really felt the sense of missing out or being, not being part of a community. We really felt we missing it. My folks were in Myrtleford and Renata's mum had her illness. We were missing the sort of community that we knew when we were growing up and the closely of, closeness of family and friends. So although things improved over the next few years, we changed jobs, we eventually got our house, Renata's mum's cancer went into remission and we were blessed with um, children, uh, Joseph and Richie, we still felt a longing for a community, one like we knew when we were growing up. And just before Easter in 2000, unplanned and unexpectedly, Renata separate and I separately found ourselves at an outreach being held by the local AOG church in a park near home. We met the pastor and it proved to be a, f a fateful meeting. He invited us to come and, check us, come and check us out. We're there every Sunday, you know. So we decided to be open-minded and to try something new and we took up the invitation. Well, the experience of going to a new church impacted both of us. Over, over time, we came, both came to feel that we had 
we had found the sort of community we were looking for and we also both, both found ourselves wanting to go to church now, feeling called rather than obliged to go. While the music and singing were great, the experience of going to another church was also personally challenging. Was I changing religion? I don't believe so. I started to think about my faith and what it meant to apply my faith to my life beyond just attending church on a Sunday. I remember at that time being asked the specific question, have you accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Saviour? I also remember that I couldn't really answer it. And it was embarrassing. Prior to this, I hadn't ever recalled any ever being personally challenged to think about and then declare my faith. So after this, I'd found I had a lot of questions. Answers started to come from sermons, reading the Bible, and from associating with other Christians. And over time, I found my passion and uh, my faith and my passion for it deepening. That was about four years ago, though, so I guess I'm a pretty slow learner. So today, it hasn't, I wouldn't say it's been an easy decision to come to here. Why do I need to be baptised? I guess my Christian walk started when my parents made a commitment on my behalf when I was a baby, and now I'm following through with a commitment. Today, I make the choice to be baptised. I believe Jesus died for my sins, and I'm declaring that I'm following Jesus, and I commit to lead my family to following Jesus. It was Norman who helped me understand the early Christians believed and then we're baptised, and now, today, I'm doing the same. When Paul came face to face with the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, his life was changed forever. He, he said from that point on he only wanted to be found in him, not having a righteousness that comes from the law, but that which is through faith. The righteousness that comes from God is by faith, he says. He said, I want to know Christ. I know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Now, tonight, today, I feel God's been really speaking to us 
to Gary and Ewa and saying, you know, the thing that the people of Poland need to know is Christ, not to trust in their own religiosity. As we've heard Robert and Renata share, they, they know Christ. You know, Jesus died on the cross and when he died, he, put a, he took upon himself yours and my sins, all the things that we've done that would stop us from having a relationship with him. You don't have to come to church to try and be pleasing to God because your sin is still a problem if it's not dealt with. You don't have to give money to, to God just to earn his favour because if your sin is not dealt with, it doesn't matter how much you give. You don't have to do any religious practice to be free from your sin. The only way is from coming to Jesus Christ and saying, thank you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I want to receive your forgiveness and come into a relationship with you, living God. You know, this Jesus that died on the cross rose again and he's right here with us. His Holy Spirit is speaking and letting you know that he's real and he's alive. Don't trust in anything else. Just say yes to Jesus. Say thank you for dying for me. Forgive me. I want to start to live for you. Right in these moments, let's bow together, shall we? And if this morning you're realising that all the good things that you've been trying to do just aren't enough, if you're realising this morning that Jesus is alive and is speaking to you and wanting to come into your life, into your heart, to forgive you, of your sins. Why don't you just open your life to him now? Why don't you say, thank you, God, for dying for me. Come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my saviour. Be my leader. Why don't you just say that to him in the quietness of these moments, just to yourself. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you're here, that you're alive, and that you want to have a relationship with us. I thank you for those who have been trusting in you for, for a, a long time. Thank you that we don't need to prove ourselves by doing religious acts, but we want to read your Bible, we want to give, we want to help others because of what you've done for us. We're so thankful and we're trusting in you for all that lies ahead. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen. In these moments, would you just take open the news sheet and pull out the little blue card in there? We'd just love in these next few moments for you to fill out that card.